0: Hello, everybody. Just a few podcast housekeeping type announcements. One, thank you so much for listening. I know you
1: could be doing anything right now, and I appreciate you taking the time to pick this as your thing to listen to. Two, if you are someone who is confused by what is going on in these episodes and what we're talking about and why we're talking about it a certain way, please go back and listen to the introduction episode to get a greater understanding. Three. Please feel free to interact with the show by sending in all types
0: of thoughts, comments, concerns, hate mail. That being said, you can reach me on Twitter
1: and Instagram as at jpeters2100. The letter J, Peters 2100. Once again, thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. I'm super happy with how all of this series is being received. That being said. Off to Gettysburg.
2: that that nation might live.
0: It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this.
2: But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate.
0: We cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it. Far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here. But it can never forget what they did here.
3: That this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom.
2: And that government of the people,
0: by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Those words were spoken by Abraham Lincoln in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, on the afternoon of Thursday, November 19th, 1863. Four and a half months after the Union armies defeated those of the Confederacy at the Battle of Gettysburg. Then, 150 years later in 2013, PBS got together former presidents George Bush, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and Jimmy Carter, along with a grab bag of the most random famous people you could possibly find. Taylor Swift, Usher, Uma Thurbin, Robin Roberts, Conan O'Brien, Shane Victorino, all the way to disgraced idiot Bill O'Reilly. To the people of 2100, I'm sure the majority of those names don't mean much to you, even the presidents. However, these are some incredibly notable names in the early 21st century. This tribute to the Gettysburg Address, although choppy in production and confusing all in all, as a jester, shows how relevant Gettysburg still is to this day. It's one of the most romanticized places in American folklore, a symbol for good defeating evil when it mattered most, and something that happened in America that, despite great loss and tragedy, you can still feel proud of. Going into this episode, I knew little to nothing about Gettysburg. Honestly, the reason I picked it as a topic was because the original idea going into this series was that every episode would be a person, place, or thing. Then I zoomed out of this topic, and I realized how much more this episode could be. Gettysburg is the perfect contrast to the previous episode about the Bury building or the Boner Forever building. The previous episode is about a building and a block morphing and changing, and the evolution of a city in fast-paced times. With Gettysburg, the inverse is true. The existence of Gettysburg revolves around keeping the past alive and keeping the past intact in a place far removed from the issues of the big city. Knowing that I didn't know much about Gettysburg and eager to show what other people knew, I was in my room brainstorming how to understand what the public knows about Gettysburg. Then lo and behold,
1: my roommate Jimmy and his ex-girlfriend, let's just call her Waffles, and Cynthia from the Road Trip episode came back to my house after a night of drinking. So I ran downstairs to see what their drunk asses knew about Gettysburg. No. He's not out. This dog is not out.
0: Excuse me. What do you guys know about Gettysburg? Tell me anything you know.
2: Any, oh, any, Revolutionary battle, any... War,
0: battle, battle of Gettysburg. Of Gettysburg. There Wh- was who battle. fought? What war? The Battle of Gettysburg, and there's some sort of like fake gun. What there was the war? The Battle of Gettysburg. But what war was the Battle of the Gettysburg? The Revolutionary War. That's not right. The Civil War. That is, is there correct an park there? Ew, Why did you not to college and I did? What uh? What year do you think the 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 eighteen oh six? Right century. Eighteen twenty. It, it was. It was. Decade. Give me a decade. It was eighteen fifty two. That's close. It's in the eighteen seventies. Where is Gettysburg? <laughs> what state? PA. PA. There we go. Uh, how- it was
1: it was named after um General Getty. That's correct. General Getty was a. Great, General Getty was a great leader. Um, I
0: don't know much about him. You know as much as I do.
1: I know no, it's named no, you, after a no. guy
0: named Getty. I know that the Gettysburg Address was 272 words.
1: But but the Gettysburg Address was 272 Gettysburg off. Ave. That was the address. Oh, well, Thank you, guys.
0: What an
1: amusement park. There is no amusement park. It's, it's the
0: site of the deadliest battle in American history. And They'll on American soil. Somehow. No, there's nothing there's nothing there. It's all farms.
1: uh yep.
2: It's almost like the Renaissance. No, square. there's an amusement
1: park Bishing outside of it. I was honestly impressed with how much they knew for being ran up on. And when I recorded that, I still didn't even have my facts straight. And we didn't know much. So let's do some brief Gettysburg background. Gettysburg is a small town in the middle of Pennsylvania, most famous for the Battle of Gettysburg, fought from July 1st to July 3rd in 1863, and is considered the most important engagement in the American Civil War. The Civil War should just be named the War Over Slavery. This war and this battle specifically were pivotal moments in deciding the direction of mankind, In the Battle of Gettysburg, 1,600 troops fought, and nearly 50,000 of them died, fighting over the future rights of their fellow man. Although this is not specifically an episode about war or slavery, the topic comes up intertwined naturally with the subject matter of Gettysburg. I went to Gettysburg and spent the day with Mayor Theodore Streeter, or Teddy, Mayor Teddy, someone who I've grown to respect profoundly. I spent the entire day with Teddy. He welcomed me to his town, drove me around, and when the mic was off, we were able to sit and have a beer with one another and speak about topics as delicate as our generations and our political beliefs. Listen how chummy we are, talking about the quote-unquote haunting of Gettysburg. Turn that down
0: a little bit. Okay, Okay, so tell me what you just said uh, I asked about the hauntings, because uh, my girlfriend's mom said if you're going to Gettysburg, you have to ask about ghosts.
3: Gettysburg has more ghosts than it does people. We've got enough ghosts that we could export a few. There's hardly a, a historic ta- house in town that doesn't that supposedly uh, have a ghost.
0: Uh, and what do you have any experiences in that? In that? Uh... Well,
3: I, you know, I'm, I'm so insensitive that the ghost could be standing on my inbox and I wouldn't. You know, I, just, <laughs> I, I just don't. Now, my wife, uh, yeah, she uh, she claims to have. Our son, especially, actually is driving. Up uh, the road that we're about to turn on, um, about two in the morning, coming back from a a party. And he saw this Union soldier walking along the road. And it was, uh, the soldier didn't turn around, didn't look, didn't, anything. he swore. And he also saw it the following night or a couple of weeks before. So he's per- firmly convinced that they exist. And he
0: saw, uh, he says he saw a Union soldier?
3: Yeah, uh-huh. It's about two in the morning, uh, and they were, uh, uh, he he was walking along the road, and he didn't turn to look at the headlights. He didn't, uh, you know, he didn't react at all to the car, and um, so uh, so
0: Joel's convinced that he he saw a ghost. I'm going to tell you this, Mayor. This is the second episode where ghosts have come up oh really yeah and and chronologically if they listen to the series they will have already heard the pets episode uh-huh. where uh, the executive director of animal control for all of Philadelphia uh-huh. was a former ghost hunter oh so and ghosts have been I don't even believe in ghosts
3: no uh, I, I I'm skeptical you know I, I haven't Seen evidence to prove or disprove,
0: but you live in a haunted town, and you're in so in
3: claims town. to have seen them. So, oh, oh, there's so many stories around here. There are eleven registered ghost tours in, in Gettysburg.
0: Oh, that, like different and, businesses. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, they actually
3: give. And it's fun to tell you whether or not you believe it, They're fun because it all depends upon the person, the guide they call, them, leading the tour. And if he or she is a good storyteller, they can be a lot of fun. Now, the, the primary one is called Ghosts of Gettysburg. It's headed by a fellow like Mark Nesbitt. And Mark was a park ranger at one time out here. And uh, people would come up to him and say, Boy, did you know what happened to me in a battle? I saw and I didn't see it. And I said, yeah. So he put a brain in his head and he put it all together mm-hmm. into a book called Ghosts of Gettysburg. And now he's on something like a sixth book and he's got tours. And That's awesome. That
0: no, because uh, ghosts keep coming up in the podcast, and oh yeah, and and I never knew that Gettysburg was known for oh, yeah. uh, its hauntings, yeah. but it makes sense, especially with the legacy. And- well, there are places
3: on the battlefield. I've been told stories about a uh, a picture that was taken with family out here, at Devil's Den, where a lot of serious fighting went on. Of the family and standing on Devil's Den, and they developed the picture. And there were two guys, Confederate soldiers, standing in back of them. Uh, now, whether you know, whether or not, I, I, I don't verify the, uh, the authenticity of the story, you know, but uh, you, there are a lot of them like that. Especially now, you're looking at a crowd to the left here, uh, where General Pickett's, they, they came from that tree line across there, and they marched uh, a mile. It's about a mile across there. If you ever get the opportunity to do that, uh, do so because it's it's really a chilling experience. But uh, yeah, there, you, you can't live in Gettysburg without hearing. Now, my wife says we she smelled tobacco smoke and another was smoked. So, uh, we supposedly have a a woman by the name of Evelyn. <laughs> Who lives in the
1: house. In your house? Yeah. So you so much so that you have named the ghost?
3: Well, it no it was uh, we had a seer in the house a, a, a person who claims to uh, see these things. How
0: said, how could you call yourself a skeptical if you've gone as far as having a ghost professional in your house?
3: Uh, because I have not personally witnessed it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's I have not personally No, that's
0: perfectly fine. It, I I I right. would if my uh,
3: but uh, Elaine asked her, you know, are there, as you hear her, say, she says, well, there was a woman, name begin with E, E, that's about all I can get. And so we went back and researched the D's, the previous owners and uh, there was a woman named Evelyn who, uh, and so, you know, is that coincidence or is it not? I don't know.
1: You can hear the type of guy that Mayor Streeter is. He was kind enough to sit down with me and a man named Jeffrey Gable, who I know that the listeners will love. Jeffrey worked as a clown on the Mr. Rogers Show, produced public media for years, and now is in charge of the beautiful Gettysburg Majestic Theater, a theater in which former president Dwight Eisenhower used to frequent, and in which we talked about the future. We started off the interview talking about the theater business and booking controversial films in a very small town, and then we take off. So please, enjoy my time with Mayor Streeter and Jeffrey Gable. So Brazil! Brazil!
2: Big open space into a new cinema
0: wing. Oh, okay. So then, there's another place for movie theaters. Yes. Okay.
2: So we're open for with programming 360 days a year. Our movie one. This is cinema oh, okay. one. This holds not. This holds 190 people. And then there's Cinema
0: Two across the hall that holds eighty-eight people. Are you guys the only theater and movie theater in town?
2: No, there are two commercial cineplexes. We program first run independent oh, okay. films. Art films, documentaries, international films, which really is a um goes along with our artistic mission of diversity hmm. and uh Inclusion and arts from around the world. Okay. So, so there's like an AMC. So, right now, we're the only theater in the region that's playing Spike Lee's The Black Klansman.
0: I saw that out front, but they don't have that at the other ones. Uh, They don't have that at the Cineplexes.
2: Um, I'm not sure if it's playing in Harrisburg.
0: Because those uh like black black Klansmen that's in like I'm from Philadelphia that's where I came from this morning, uh those are in major theaters in uh in that area,
2: and we have it right here in Gettysburg at yeah. the same time. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. So, so I I assume that you go about and you scout and you look for the independent movies or do they come to you?
2: No, I have to use a professional film booker. The live shows. That I'll give you, you know, a, a, a brochure about. I book those all myself. But film, you have to have someone who's booking multiple theaters, because, for example, my film booker lives in New York City. He goes to every screening of every movie that he brings here, so he knows the quality, and I trust him one hundred percent. He's been doing it for us for twelve years. Mm-hmm. I do that with live shows, but I'm just booking a dozen live shows a year. Movies, we have 70, 80 titles a year. So I could never be able to do that not living in New York City. Also, if I was trying to book a title with just two cinemas, as opposed to my film booker who's booking 60 or 70 screens, that's how I'm able to get Klansmen on the day that it goes from New York City Wide, because Mm -hmm. he has the buying power that I'd never have if I was just a single theater.
0: It's interesting when you think about uh, getting films into the movie theater, you think of that as something that you had to deal with in the past when you were dealing with large movie studios and things consolidated into AMC and Regal. But since you are still like this private enterprise, you have to go out and do it yourself the way that like a major theater would have had to 20 years ago.
2: That's pretty... You're right. did you learn all this? <laughs> I, I have a
0: degree. <laughs> I pay attention.
2: So, you know, we we booked some um, pretty cutting-edge things. Like uh, like what? Well, like the Klansman. Right? Mm-hmm, because so. you are in, can I say we are in Klansman
0: country? Yeah, we are in Klansman
2: country. Really? Yes. And we haven't had any uh, pushback
0: or is, is that uh something I'd, I was I was I was I'm interested in the politics of a small town like here and I didn't want to jump right into it off the oh, get go. there are no politics in a small town.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets along with one another. It's kumbaya
0: every day. We all same. love one another. <laughs> and we
3: generally
0: do except for all the fights we get in. I believe, you you should see how it is. It's it's like that everywhere. I feel like no one can escape it nowadays. But oh, thank you. Thank you. Um okay. So, talk to me a little bit about Gettysburg. What brought you guys to Gettysburg? Jeffrey, you had, you had said that um, you had ties and family. What specifically brought you to Gettysburg, Mayor Streeter? Or- well, my wife
3: and I, I'm retired military. Mm-hmm. I saw and, that on your bumper, uh, on your yeah, license plate. We came back from Germany in 1982, and I was stationed at a little place called Fort Ritchie, Maryland, uh, 20 miles or over from here. And I retired out of there. And my wife uh, is from Dallas, and she had no reason to go back to Dallas. I was born in, in the Pittsburgh area, so we never really lived there, had no reason to go there. Uh, we had two small children at the time, both now grown gone, married with their own. And uh, so we decided to stay here, and have never regretted it, so we have been here <laughs> since 1982. Um. Oh. I
2: was going to say 1982 is a good place to start our conversation about the new Gettysburg, the Gettysburg of today that is thriving. It all started right around 1982 when the Hotel Gettysburg Mm -hmm. burned to the ground in a great conflagration Mm -hmm. on a Mm -hmm. bitter cold February
3: 1983, it was. That was the first
0: year we were here. Okay, talk to me a little bit about that. I so, want to learn about Gettysburg.
2: With, with, with the burning down of the hotel through the rest of the 1980s, the heart of downtown Gettysburg looked like Berlin after World <laughs> War II because there were insurance claims and all kinds of uh, legal stuff with the hotel property that took almost eight or nine years to sort out. So the center of the city had its biggest building sitting burnt out, boarded up for almost 10 years. And uh, because I used to come here, you lived here, Mayor, Mm -hmm. on occasion. The 1980s were the low point for downtown Mm -hmm. Gettysburg in terms of Mm -hmm. redevelopment and business Mm -hmm. and everything. And then Gettysburg College, which was on a a very uh, progressive uh, uh, growth spurt during the 1980s, moving from a small regional college that was mostly Lutheran-based, educating young men and women to go to the seminary. It was starting to grow into the national reputation that it holds Now it's one of the 100 top university colleges in America. So Gettysburg College realized they were losing recruitment because families were coming to look at the college and the downtown was in such a sad state and there was no uh, modern hotel to stay in. So the college bought the hotel property. Along with that came the theater. Mm -hmm. The college worked with the commercial a uh, realtor-builder out of New York City. They rebuilt and opened the hotel in 1991.
3: Was it? No, I don't recall when it was rebuilt.
2: It's close to there, 1991. And that anchored the renaissance that began. And practically all four blocks in every direction out of the square have been yeah raised up and renovated uh, and... Restored and um, the Will's house, the train station, the Lincoln train station next door, All of that has taken place in the last twenty years. This, uh, the college, didn't have a performing arts center on campus, and they had a growing music department and theater department. And the president of the college at that time, um, Gordon. Dr. Gordon Holland, and the and the chairman of the board, whose name is David Levan, who grew up here, son of a plumber, went to Gettysburg College, became an accountant in Philadelphia working for Conrail. And he eventually became CEO of Conrail for a number of years. He retired and came back here. It was on the college, chairman of the college board. And the, Dr. Holland and Mr. Levan had the vision of instead of building a new performing arts center on campus, could we partner with the community and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to restore and expand this historic theater where Dwight D. Eisenhower and maybe Eisenhower used to come to the movies here all the time after they retired from the White House. So that's what happened. We raised, we got an $8.5 million grant from the Commonwealth for redevelopment we raised 4 million from the community from some 350 donors including the mayor <laughs> and myself small. and, and then the college put in another 5 or 6 million and that's how this very very small town of 5500 people have ended up with this 16.5 million dollar modern Performing Arts Center that I call the grandest small town theater in America. Uh,
3: It is in fact that and has
0: been recognized as such. I believe it won an award for restoration. It did. Did it not? It did. That's amazing. What do you guys, so you you mentioned that the uh, population used to be, because I looked up the population. It was one of the few things I look up when I go into any town, I look up the population because if you watch the population, you can really see a story. Mm -hmm. Like if there's a dip around World War II, if there's a dip around uh, when when manufacturing slows down, uh, you you look at those things. I didn't really see massive drop-offs. Or um, usually, when you when you see a small town, you see a massive drop-off at one point or another. Mm-hmm. But here, it seems like it's been a steady increase, and then it's just been hovering around like seven or eight thousand people mm-hmm. population-wise. Is that about the population? Well, there's a little catch in the population figure. The census is taken in April,
3: when the college is in session. That's 2,500 people who normally
0: go home in May. Ah, uh, so, I never even thought the, about that. Stanley, Jeffrey's right. standing population
3: is around 5,500, 55, 5,000, 55,000.
0: So, what do you guys consider yourself, if you had to describe Gettysburg? Because I, are you guys more agricultural based? Like, what is the um, driving force behind the Gettysburg economy?
3: Well, I think in
0: terms of Adams County, agriculture is the biggest, but in terms of Gettysburg, it's
3: obviously tourism, I believe. Yeah.
2: Okay. And so, the college. And the college.
3: And the college. Uh, there are about, any varies from roughly three to four million visitors a year to Gettysburg. Okay.
2: Uh, I'm the immediate past president of the League of Historic American Theaters, which has some 350 member theaters all across the country from Broadway to hundreds of small towns just like Gettysburg. So I've been traveling all over the country mm-hmm. the past 10 years on this, this board. And I've come to understand that Gettysburg has all the markers for success for a small town. Your county seat, you have a college or university in your small town. Here we have the college and the seminary, uh,
3: thriving arts program
2: well in addition you know we have what makes Gettysburg a standout it's for a small town we are a small town but we ain't your normal small no, town no because not. in addition to the markers of success that are already being a transportation hub we have the National Park Service and the battlefield which brings in some 2 million visitors a year
0: So let's let's talk about that. uh, So
2: those the synergy of all those drivers mm -hmm. uh, is is really what's fueled the growth here, and the arts and culture, and food to table agriculture as well, which has really come on full throttle the past twenty years. You know the amazing growth here. In terms of the number of restaurants, the number of festivals mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. now have, Here we have dozens of small festivals all year long, the Majestic being open now 13 years. We have new restaurants, more upscale restaurants. I noticed kind of, they're not
0: exactly very commercial. There's not a ton of chains. I, no. I, yeah. No I, no I chain not, in town is Starbucks. Starbucks. Yes. Yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw, I, I've seen very little chains when I, mm-hmm. when I, when I, I've only been here for less than a half hour or yeah, an hour or so, yeah. but uh, driving up, the chains start to dissipate the closer, you, the further you go up Baltimore Pike.
3: There are a couple of factors involved. First of all, on a, on a slightly negative, Gettysburg is confined. We, are a mile and a half square, uh, we're surrounded by the park virtually and surrounding towns, so we can't grow out, you know, we, we cannot expand. And secondly, there's a very strong historic character to the town, which is governed very rigidly by a HARB, Historic Architecture Review Board, and a Planning Commission, and all that thing, which governs what can move into town. And most uh, chains, uh, like there is a McDonald's out there, have these cookie-cutter architecture Mm-hmm. You know,
0: uh, which we don't really like. No, I I, I agree 100. percent It's kind of like what people are saying about Cuba now that that's opening up. Mm-hmm. Now that there's flooding oh, of, yeah. of American companies going in there, yeah. that's kind of taking away that Cuba vibe, you the big box. The yeah, atmosphere. so yeah. I, I get I, I understand what you mean. If you and your family come up here, if me and my family came up here for uh, just a weekend in Gettysburg, and uh, across from the battle site was a Burger King. It would kind of upset you. Yeah. So very similarly, uh, I, I did a cross-country road trip, and I went to the Grand Canyon. And there, not only is a McDonald's at the Grand Canyon, but it is the one of the most expensive McDonald's in America. <laughs> All the prices are jacked up for a large fry, five dollars. Uh, yeah. I didn't even know McDonald's did that. So I'm, I was happy to come here and not see a Dairy Queen on the battleground. <laughs> uh, no,
3: there is no. You know, the national parks are. Very jealous about, and I mean it in general, so about what it permits. on, Of course, on the battlefield, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Statues, monuments, that's about it.
2: That didn't but, used to be
3: that way. I'm sorry, sir.
2: That, that's changed in the last 50 years. When I grew up here, there were picnic tables all over the battlefield. Oh, there were.
3: Oh, see, honey.
2: Didn't you know? Well, no, I did not. Oh, yeah. So my family always came down from Harrisburg when any relative... Came oh, to visit. We all oh, went to go to you. Know, <laughs> you
0: About say it like it's such a pain. Well, well like you have well, memories well, of getting into the car.
2: It was always on the damn hottest day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Park Service over the years has they've gotten rid of all the commercialism.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's useful. Um, I'll, I'll t- focus on you for a second. Um, your Talk to me a little bit about your development through theater, because that seems to be a driver in your life and what has gotten you here to this wonderful theater. And he had actually mentioned that you were involved in Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Uh, could you talk to me a little bit about um, your, just your past, your history and your development in theater?
2: I've always been... Uh, um... Interested in theater and music and drama. And um, my father said I was a natural born clown because I <laughs> never took a picture of w- growing up that I wasn't making a face. <laughs> and my father always said, you're so full of bullshit. I guess. <laughs> 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 but anyway, so I, I, I uh, went to college for art and then transferred into music, studied opera, um, and eventually um, got involved in the circus business. Because actually, that happened here in Adams County. I was, as a college student, I was working at the Lutheran summer camp.
0: And what, what year is this? Do you mind? Oh, it is
2: in like, <laughs> <it's laughs> the early seventies.
0: Okay, I just like to because this is a, a feature. Focused on time, so uh, I sure. like to have that. So
2: the very early 1970s, and there was a small student summer tented circus in East Berlin, which is just 12 miles from here, and it was being supported by the Lutheran Church in America at the time. I heard about this summer circus when I was working at Camp Nawakwa. The next summer, I applied. And got hired by this student circus and trained and became a clown. This was 1971. And I went right from the student circus into being a professional clown for six years uh, with tented circuses traveling all over America. We would do 300 consecutive one night stands.
0: And I assume you had to travel. Travel
2: all over all over the East Coast. Oh, okay. Every place east of the Mississippi, and this was the old-fashioned tent circus, the mud show circuit. They called it because you're here today, I'm gone tomorrow, and there's nothing left but wagon tracks and popcorn stacks. <laughs> you had to. Everyone worked two or three jobs. You helped put up the the tents. I ran the cookhouse, cooking you know three squares a day for fifty, sixty roustabouts, and then would do put on my makeup and do two clown shows, two performances. And I, I did that for six years. And then I went back to college, got a degree in opera, and um, which I still love today. And I had one really good note. I had a <laughs> hell of a high of A-flat. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't make a career out of one ringing A-flat. <laughs> so I stumbled my way into public television. And convinced uh, a, a small public television station in southern Maine to hire me to produce and host a television quiz show all about the state of Maine, and I had never been in the state of Maine nor <laughs> in a television studio.
0: <laughs> this is all the truth. You could look it up. I'm in the midst of <laughs> attempting to do exact the modern age version of <laughs> what I was doing. in that station
2: for seven years. Uh, Doing voiceovers, eventually gone into programming, still did this uh, weekly quiz show, which won some national corporate uh, uh, public television local programming awards. And then I went to Alaska for a year managing the regional public television station in Juneau, Alaska, which you can only get there by boat or plane Mm in 1984. And it's still that way. Believe Today, it or not,
0: I applied to work at Alaska Public Radio last year. <laughs> and they never got trying. back to me. I know. I've, I, I've applied to every public radio station in uh, the nation. It's hard out there. <laughs> keep trying. I, I plan on it. Keep but trying. that's amazing. Keep telling me your story. And then
2: I went from Juneau to Washington, D.C., to the National Programming Office there for the entire PBS network. I was, the, I was in charge of classical music. And children's programming. So that's where I met Fred Rogers, because that's one of the series that I was, I helped coordinate the production and scheduling of it. And he heard about my clowning, and so he asked me to be on the neighborhood. He wrote a whole week of shows around alike and different, using the clown mask as the metaphor to get in the conversation with kids about a clown looks like this with their makeup off but you take the mask off and he mm-hmm. he's a real person or they're a real person so one person can be alike and different depending on what face they put on I mean that was and that's how I ended up in the documentary that was all the rage this summer Won't You Be My Neighbor I was in it for two and a half seconds <laughs> And I didn't even know about it. I was watching it. We were screening it with my staff. And all of a sudden, there I was and we all
0: screamed. <laughs> and by the time the scream was done, you were off the screen.
2: <laughs> I didn't get any money for it. Oh. I was so proud to be part of that. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, so you've done all of these things.
2: And then I got into historic theaters 20 years ago. And that's how I ended up here.
0: I, I don't even know where to start. Um no, I just this want,
2: isn't about me. This is about yeah. Something.
0: That's perfectly fine. I yeah, but I'm even inter- more interested in 1970s clowning and 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 being in the circus. That's fascinating and something that people well, don't that get be to hear about.
2: Podcast. No,
0: I, <laughs> do, do you have any stories, anything that you would want to share about um, your time in the circus or uh, being a clown? Because this is something that I don't feel like anyone knows about. That's what a lot of this is—is is, is getting these stories like about nineteen seventies clowning. Who else is going to tell that story?
2: Well, there's so many stories; that it would be hard to tell one story. Uh-huh. Uh, what what was what was wonderful about it for me is I grew up in a Leave It to Beaver suburb of Harrisburg, you know little brick houses on beautiful tree lined streets you know i i walked to elementary school i walked to junior high school i walked to senior high, high school you could ride your bicycles you could do anything you know but it was all white mm. i mean that's yeah, that's it's... just all i knew for me the great revelation of going out on the tented circus was I was exposed and introduced to the real world because there were performers uh, that I lived and worked with that were from Europe, that were from Mexico, that were from South America, uh, Americans, of course, as well. The roustabouts were, you know, uh, African-American, Mexican, Many of most of them, if not all of them, were homeless. And at that time, a tented circus was sort of part of the uh, uh, social uh, uh, support system for homeless because, you know, uh, they would give a guy or a woman working concessions or something, they, they give them a bunk and three squares a day yeah. and enough money to buy a bottle of wine on, on payday, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, none of that soft social service network that, that used to exist in America exists anymore. And I was able to, we traveled mostly to uh, small cities, small towns, and to see... We would travel, we would follow spring up the East Coast. The circus would uh, um, uh, winter in Miami because they had elephants and horses and um, lions and tigers and bears and different things. So that's why they always wintered in uh, Southern Florida. And then come February... When they would start to go back out on the road again, they would just, you know, meander all throughout the peninsula of Florida and out with the panhandle, following spring up the East Coast. Yeah. Is essentially what we did. So from February to uh, uh, May and June, when we finally get up to Maine, we were in perpetual spring.
0: That's awesome. That's and, that's the way to do it if you're going to do it.
2: So I really got to really see the real America at the time. You know, small towns, mid-sized yeah. towns, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, it was it was a different time than the is
0: now there weren't the
2: national chains uh, of restaurants and everything that's what i was going to ask
0: um what do you think about like the dissipation of circus like what you were once a part of is no longer essentially Pretty much it's gone and not just that along with that culture that it brought with it as well as that type of work that type of travel um that lifestyle is something that if if we're talking about a context in in 2100.
2: What's gone is, um, um, what's changed is, is globalization. You know, everything is interconnected now, as opposed to the 1970s, there was far less connection and communication Regionally and, and nationally, if on the circus, if I wanted to call home, I had to find a telephone booth and get a fistful of quarters <laughs> and and call back home to talk to my to my parents.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And now you know mm-hmm. you have you can be communi- you can be in com- in connection twenty four seven.
0: And you guys lived through that change yes uh, how, what, what are you guys thoughts on that what it, do you, how, how? it's just different that's all
3: it's different <laughs> and I, I of course I bring a certain perspective from my age but I don't think it's any better than I want to echo what Jeffrey said when I was in Texas and I wanted to call my parents in Pittsburgh Elwood City outside of Pittsburgh first you had to go to the Temple Telephone Company I was in Fort Hood Temple Telephone Company would connect to Dallas Dallas would connect to Chicago Chicago would connect to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh would connect to the oldest city, and you sat there waiting. Why, the operator? May I have Dallas? Yes, here's Dallas. Operator, may I have Chicago? And, and that's that's the way the phones. Wow, you're really old, Mayor. Oh, I yeah. am <laughs> <laughs> in the mid, this is the in the mid '60s, in the mid '60s. And then we got actually punch button telephones. I <laughs> say, but I don't think I don't, I don't think today's society has any any advantage over what Jeffrey and I What? He talks about riding his bicycle. Well, when I went out to play, my mother would say, "Come home when the street lights come on." She had no idea where I was or what I was doing, but she, she, she didn't worry that much. We there was no crime, or, we we didn't get any trouble that other little boys didn't get into. But I knew that when the street lights come on, I would go home.
0: Believe it or not, I am. I think I might be like the last one of the, the last people in my generation or the generations past me to have that same experience as you. My parents used to say the same thing to me, really? which people don't believe because yeah. I'm only 23 years old. Yeah, I,
1: yeah, it is hard to believe. But that. I
0: grew up in a suburb where my parents were both full time workers, very busy. Mm-hmm. So maybe the circumstances were a little different, but my parents were very busy people where they wouldn't want me sitting in the house just watching yeah. tv all day they'd say go do something to the point where they only needed to say it needed to say it once or twice growing up but then i realized there is more worth in going out and doing oh, something with my day, absolutely. but nowadays um, it's kind of the opposite, where you have these devices which are like rabbit holes for for the youth. are well,
3: looking at one here.
0: Yeah, well, this this is is very standard. This is not that difficult compared to the, the Nintendo DS Touch Three D. My my five year old nephew has a device that it plays games, connects to the internet. It is the screen is in three D with no glasses, and you can control that on the side and you can do anything on it yeah. why would he go outside especially yeah. if every single person his age has that same device mm-hmm. which has a million things mm-hmm. the natural world can't compete anymore for your attention span if you're a child you
3: no know, it's disturbing that most people many people young people especially they do not carry their own world with them when you go to washington or new york and you get on the metro we don't sit and talk. Everyone's plugged in to something. And they're all in their own little world and they don't communicate. They don't appreciate what's around them. Only what's on that little screen in front of them. Yeah. And uh, I think it's destroying the country. And, and, and I mean, that may be an overstatement. Your you,
1: you,
0: you, you, your, your, point changed from I don't think there's any advantages to it's destroying the country. Well, yeah. <laughs> You went yeah, down that right. fast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I but I, I understand. Uh, I think that I try to think. I try to put myself in other people's shoes. So if I, I try to imagine like if I had also grown up and seen the progression of technology, I probably would be horrified. So I, I don't blame anyone for saying that it might be destroying the country or that because there is that lack of connectivity, mm-hmm. for, uh, without a doubt. But um, we're more connected and more isolated all at the same time. That's true. Yeah. I get. Yeah.
2: I get. I dilemma.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I get worried. Just because I, in my lifetime, I've seen it. I, I like to refer to uh, people that were born my age. We're not millennials. We are the beta test generation. Uh, because as I grew up, all of the technology grew up with me. Yeah. So, like, I had the first ever Game Boy and then it had a brighter screen and then it had color mm-hmm. but that all happened while my brain was 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 developing mm-hmm. so i literally grew with it i had a flip phone i had a not flip phone i had the first iphone i have the current iphone these things kind of developed with me as i grew up mm-hmm. and now i'm looking towards the future and i'm very 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 worried about um 3D printed guns yeah that is one of the scariest ones you can 3D print a gun without any traceable marks on it Uh, and uh. and the files are already out there Um, people subpoenaed it but the files once the files are out out there there's nothing you can do so it's stuff like that that scares me and and if and I always like to think of if I can think of something that scares me, there's a hundred other things that I don't know about that are that are way worse and probably bigger problems. I
2: have all the faith in you and your generation. You're going to manage it. Somehow.
0: I I really hope I I feel like our generation is is handling it. Um, but our generation is really divisive. Our our generation is really angry and divisive, and I, I I'll admit that for myself that I am also angry because uh, my father worked for Lehman Brothers, um he he worked for Lehman Brothers up until 2008 in the recession. My mom's a Catholic school teacher. We were hit hard by the recession in the suburbs. Um, how how was how did Gettysburg fare through 08? I don't think there's any
3: Gettysburg I like to say, you know, it's an over exaggeration. Again, you're either a drywall hanger or a banker. There's I don't think there's much of a middle class, what I would call a middle class in Gettysburg. It's largely a blue collar town. In one form or another. You know, you work at the restaurant and you 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 hang drywall, or you're a plumber or something along that line. But there are not that many industries. A kid get a coming out of Gettysburg College can't step into a $60,000 or whatever dollar a year job around here. They, they, they just don't exist. You have to go away to get it, and then they come back in later life. Mm-hmm. You know. But uh, So you get out of high school and you start to work as a teller at the bank, and you may work your way up. But there, there's no... Uh, i mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I just don't see a real middle class. So we're not really affected...
0: Mm-hmm. Except in terms of tourism, but that stays fairly fairly steady. Yeah, because I don't think a trip to Gettysburg is an overwhelmingly expensive. It is not. It's that's, not like going to London, where if, yeah. if a recession hits, you got to tank the whole vacation. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's that's what brings people to Gettysburg. You mm-hmm. can, I think the average tourist, if I recall correctly, spends about seventy five dollars a day. If
0: I'm not mistaken. Okay, that's Gettysburg. that's a good number to have.
3: Uh, if if I'm correct with that. That's
0: perfectly fine. Um,
2: Right, I I agree. The recession, um, everyone tightened their belt. The college, you know, uh, reduced the budget 5% like September (laughs) 2008 and 5% another year, the next year. So we all tightened our belts and did more with less. And got about doing it. And I did see more blue-collar people working more extra jobs. Well,
3: you're right.
0: Yeah. yeah. All, yeah
2: that's... But there wasn't any great cataclysm. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like this isn't a place that the, gets swayed by outside influence as easily as other places. No. No there were no major industries here that laid people off to my you know there yeah. were, it seems on. like a place with a strong nucleus that mm-hmm. just feeds yeah. itself
3: because say agriculture is the number one product in that less yeah. are there,
0: are they being affected right now uh the agriculture are our farmers angry with uh tariffs trade wars? I don't know no, no, I don't it, well it people hasn't people came to you.
2: tariffs it, on peaches
0: yeah the... <laughs>
2: <laughs> and don't no. leave the canyon without getting some fresh peaches to I actually
0: there's peaches. a few things I plan on doing when I leave I saw a consignment shop I have a bag of extra clothes so I'm just going to drop it off with them and then um, I saw a little stand with all produce I plan on getting a thing of peaches on oh, the ride okay. home
3: yeah. oh yeah Yeah. we'll go out to Sandoz or if there's any what is today Friday there's no farmer's market in town today is there
0: uh, right yeah. not until tomorrow Jeffrey I wanted to get back to you um, I'm going to ask a couple more questions and then we'll start talking about the future a little bit. You seem to put a lot of value on your experience in the circus and, um, uh, the diversity and getting to learn about America. Does that have any, do you think that influenced or inspired what you early referred to as this theater's artistic mission or artistic vision? Because, uh, the two seem connected.
2: Well, they're connected to me
0: and, um... Because you had mentioned uh, you seem to be proud that you have uh, the Spike Lee film Black Clans been playing in what you referred to as Clan Country.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I I I am a great believer and have great faith that art and artists can change the world. And what they do is they reflect Back to all of us in our society in general, what is the experience of being human? Mm-hmm. You said it, uh, you know, uh, uh, even at your tender young age of 23, how wonderful it is that you already sense that being able to walk in someone else's shoes and being empathetic. That's what makes you human. That's what civilizes you. And art is all about the story of being human. So I see everything that we do, that our mission is to, you know, tell the stories of everyone around us and um, to bring joy to the world, to bring comfort to those who are suffering, to raise people's, hopes up and visions up and to inspire them. And for me, it all comes down to bring joy to the world. Yeah, that's that's nice. And also fear no art. So, you know, know, the whole thing, you know, trying to shut down the media, all the, you know, the more you know, the more you listen, the more you read, the more you go to movies and performances of all kind, the more well-rounded human civilized person you are, because you know, you come to understand we're all in this crazy world where you can be up one day and down the next healthy one day and sick the next. Mm-hmm. We're all here to help one another.
0: That's good to hear. I, 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 I'm, I keep thinking about you referring to this as clan country how um prominent are they are they and how how does it affect you because i i'm a city guy mm-hmm. they, they don't go in cities and uh and mm-hmm. also I, I, yeah it's just never been something i've seen i've it, it's it's something to me that is only on the media mm-hmm. and in the media and i just want to if you have anything to say about that it, it feels relevant about, to I, today
3: I, I, I believe you were here at the time, Jeffrey. I don't know when it was—2004, 2007. 2000, I was on the council, and uh, Bill Troxel was mayor. And a fellow came to the college, it was an African American <laughs> artist, and he had a display—a piece of art that he was going to put on display. It was called "The Proper Way to Hang the Confederate Flag," and it was a gallows with a noose and the Confederate flag in the noose. Well, my God, uh, (laughs) we got that much hate mail. Skinheads and Nazis, I mean, they were going to come into town and they were going to rip the town. And so the the night the display opened, we had a large police force in a fire hall down here. I mean, from all over the county, we had dogs, we had, you know, everybody there. Nothing happened. Uh. (laughs) Nothing happened. I think they spotted one guy in town. They went and chased him out. But that... If if not the action it refers to sentiment in the county. I will say I was I, when I first came to Gettysburg. The one thing that really impressed me. This was a night in '82, '83. Was a number of interracial couples in the borough, and that, and that it just surprised can, me for some reason. That continues. And it didn't seem to raise. Nobody, nobody seemed to care. But underneath there, there's you have the current of uh, of, of clan mentality. Uh, which I other than that one story that I just told I don't really can't really cite anything we you just we kind have, of know
0: that they're around
3: we
2: have well there there was over in Franklin County I don't know seem to be an active membership was what I've read but it's uh, it's the battlefield that is the draw for people that that are still have the belief that the civil war was not about slavery yeah, it that... was about states rights and there's yeah. almost every year there's an, some kind of annual yeah. legal gathering of yeah. the kkk
3: kkk and on the fall.
2: battlefield they have they have to go to the national park service and apply to get a permit mm-hmm. to have uh um yeah. a march or a demonstration usually yeah. takes place up at the, the peace light and the park service is expert at marshalling forces mm-hmm. bringing out the uh, the horses To yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's all controlled and counter demonstrators often Gettysburg College yeah. students yeah. are out in force but they're kept back on another side of the barricade, barricade. so they. Yeah the Klansmen are allowed to have their public demonstration voice their free speech.
0: right. Mm -hmm. No, I understand. Uh, Because I, I, my perspective on things have kind of been starting to shift because I am in in, an interracial relationship or Mm -hmm. whatever. My girlfriend is biracial, half black, half white. It's not important to us. Me and her don't care (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's it's not...
2: It's going to be totally different in another hundred years. No, exactly. Because... Yes. It started, you know, an interracial couple in the fifties or sixties, that would have really stood out here, and people might not have said anything to your face, yeah. but they would have not approved. Mm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I grew up in the fifties and sixties, having an you know an internal instinct that I was attracted to men, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, mm-hmm. it was clearly communicated to me through, it was clearly made, the society made clear that you didn't talk about those mm-hmm.
0: things. Yeah, And
2: just look at how that's changed. I
0: was going to say, how do past. you feel about the progression over time? I think the...
2: we've come a long way and, oh, and it's, it's still not totally absolutely. acceptable, but, uh, uh, it's so different than it was 50 years ago. I, I don't think so. And yeah. no matter, and people, uh, the gay and lesbian community, they're never going back in the closet. No. And it's the same with interracial marriage. Yeah. Hell, when I was, you know, going back to the 50s and 60s, um, uh, it was... No one or young couples, dating couples, certainly didn't live openly with one another. Mm-hmm. That was really frowned upon. Of course, there was all kinds of sex going on, most of it in the balcony here at the movie theater, <laughs> which was the sex education classroom in <laughs> the 50s and 60s here in Adams County. <laughs> and just in one generation. Yeah. Everyone yeah. lives together now before yeah. they
3: get married. hell oh,
2: yeah. they don't even get married.
3: Yeah, right.
2: And it's become normalized. Yeah, yeah. and it's, the same thing I th- think is going to happen. It's already happening. It, it is. It interracial is. Interracial marriage.
3: I, I don't think the young people in general today appreciate how far we've come in a time that we have. Yeah. Uh, when I was when it's I was just, growing up, and Jeff, I, I remember specifics of Warner Brothers cartoon, and. There were two young black girls that so they were, at the time, they were called pick oh, sitting on the fence. That's what they, and they were code, uh, the Siamese twins at the time. I don't know. It and the cartoon had one little girl eating the watermelon and the other little girl spitting out the seed. Oh, it's
2: it's a Funny idea, but, you know.
3: It was, yeah. But, and it, I didn't think anything of it. Now, that's the way well, life no, that, was. That's the... Absolutely. You, you had your mammy and pappy salt and pepper shakers. You had the guy. Remember the film with the golf pro hitting the lips of the ball, trying to hit the ball off the lips of this guy, and he swallowed the ball every time that they would take the ball in his mouth every time the guy. So those were those were normal. Those were and and no one thought anything about it. And then the '60s came about with the Vietnam and the rise of the the baby boomers, and that's when. Uh, Martin Luther King, who, in my opinion, was the is the icon of civil rights, uh, came on board, and the situation began to change. Now, situations exist in the white-black community that would not have existed. But but people have to remember that slavery or oppression in this in this country occurred for four hundred years. Mm-hmm. From 1619 or 1617 when first came, until in the mid 1950s, and early and 1960s, when Dr. King began to break it up, so we've only been at this sixty years. Yeah, let's say, and the progress has been phenomenal. Yeah, in the gay and lesbian community as well, it, it, it's 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 been phenomenal, and I welcome it. I it's what the country should be about. Yeah, the math
2: now, now I'm so amazed. At the transgendered young people mm-hmm. that, that are standing up for themselves. Yeah. Being gay, that's nothing. To be, <laughs> realize that you're in the wrong sex. Yeah. I mean,
0: how traumatic must that be? Well, science is actually really helping the transgender community. Um, in the fact that you you guys probably were taught XY chromosomes. Yeah. Um, that's been completely debunked. That was all wrong science. Um, there's a variation of chromosomal orders that, that define gender and uh, you could be anywhere in between. And uh, there's, there it's, it, it is actually scientifically you could have a double XY, you could have a triple XY. So, then it comes down to not only the chromosomes; it also comes down to society. So, if you ha- if you're confused, it's kind of easier to take a blood test, look at your chromosomes, figure out oh, this is what's missing. Oh, my body's not producing enough estrogen, testosterone. What is going to make me feel more comfortable? Make a decisive decision and live your life. But that that chromosome thing I just told you about—that's only been found out in the last year. Mm. So there is a ways to go scientifically mm-hmm. that it, there just wasn't a possibility for mm. <laughs> in the past. Yeah, and, so I'm, I'm so out of touch with that. I don't, don't really know anything about It's completely fine. That yeah. I only and know that's that.
2: has been in the Gettysburg Times yet. <laughs> 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 oh, we love the Gettysburg Times. They had a headline once. It read... Hole found in nudist camp fence. <laughs> <laughs> Police looking in.
1: <laughs>
3: sure,
2: that was pre cool. I imagine. <laughs> well, yeah. No, that's just a joke. No,
0: that's fine. That's fine. Um, okay, so we've talked about a lot of things. So let's talk about the future. Ooh. Broad stroke. Yeah. We're going to go broad stroke here. Um, One simple question. What do you think the world... Actually, we'll stay with Gettysburg. What do you think Gettysburg will be like in the year 2100? And um, I'll let you sit on that for a second. Think about what it looks like, what people are doing, what jobs. Um, Think about what will be going on in this building. Um, And I know it's a hard question. Because with it comes a lot of uh, challenges, and everyone who says something on this podcast is going to look foolish in the year two thousand one hundred. <laughs> well, but we won't be around enough. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm curious because that's the idea that this is centered around. What yeah. do you think Gettysburg will be like? I'll start with you, my airbys. Jeffrey looks like he's in deep thought. Well, he always looks at.
3: Like <laughs> <laughs> In, in Adams County, and very especially, you have a constant battle between the conservatives, those who want to, I mean conservative in a historic sense, and the developers, those who want to see the, the town develop and those who want to preserve it the way in 1863. And it, so far it's been pretty much a tie. But I don't see a great deal of change in the borough itself. Now Adams County uh, is developing in spite of the efforts of those who want it not to, and I would see that eventually it will become part of the Washington megalopolis. It already is. When I, uh, you're one of them. I'm one of them. Yeah, we're one. Government
2: of them. worker, that retired here,
3: <clears throat> known as a transplant locally. Uh, when I started working after I retired from military, I started working in Washington. I drove down for a year, but I couldn't do that any longer, and I bought a condo down there. But the first year, I drove by drove home at night, i get North of Frederick. This is 1984. And I'd be all alone. Mm-hmm. When I quit the government in 1995, and North of Frederick, just constant stream of traffic all the way up. And it's slowly moving up. So Adams County, I think, will eventually develop. Uh, agriculture will be, well, I won't say pushed out, but, but minimized. There's plenty of land here. Gettysburg, myself, I if I came back at 2100, I don't think I'd see a great deal of change. I, I don't know how, how you feel about it. I, I mean, as I say, I think there are, what, 117 buildings here that were present during the Civil War, and there's a constant fight to maintain those. Uh, we're fighting now a battle against height in the uh, I was going to
0: ask about that because you said you can't build out. Util- in my Util- head, out. I was thinking, oh, so you're going to build up. Just
3: on the other side of the train station down, which we'll visit when we're uh, is a huge, well, an acre or so, empty ground, and there's a developer interested in it, and he wants to go possibly to 96 feet high, which is two stories higher than the hotel. But the park service is against it because of the view shed and a lot of one of the locals is against it because it would throw shade on his tomato patch. <laughs> he <They> wouldn't get stuck <laughs> on his sto- That's what that's the small town mentality. Oh my you know? God. So, uh, whether or not it goes, I'm rambling here. Whether or not it goes, I, I don't know, but I don't think you'll see a great deal of the physical change. You will probably see a more, is a beautiful retirement community? If this were turned into condos down here, this, this lot, I wouldn't buy one in a minute. Because you can walk to the theater, you can walk to restaurants, you walk to college, you can walk anywhere you want to in Gettysburg. It's only a mile and a half square. So, uh, well, that's sort of my answer in a
0: way. I don't you see don't see a ton of change, which is amazing because you are the only person in this entire series that has had uh, that view that not a lot will change, but it's specific to the topic of the episode yeah. because it's Gettysburg, and that is something I would have never expected out of Left Field. Yeah. How about yourself?
2: I won't pretend to be a futurist. <laughs> um, but I would agree with the mayor, uh, unless there's some great national or earth catastrophe, cataclysm, what, what's the word? Yeah, cataclysms. Yeah. Is it cataclysm?
0: Just something te- like, Something major yeah. happens. Like, don't don't yeah, get I,
2: hit by a meteor. Hoss you hoss. Know the, yeah. <laughs> I think this town will be thriving. I think its historic mm-hmm. uh, character will be maintained because of the ownership of the battlefield that surrounds the town and it's and Gettysburg's national role in the history of this country, which is so important because of the Gettysburg Address and and the battle. So I think the historic nature is going to be here but the suburbs around here and retirement communities that's uh, that's been growing and that's going to continue to grow. Um, and I bring more uh, money into the community and the markers of the theater and the other, I, I, I we're going to, we already have the beginnings of everything mm-hmm. that many successful historic retirement communities mm-hmm. have again, the college, the park service, a mm-hmm. performing arts center, more and more mm-hmm. arts Mm -hmm. And there's just going to be more and more people with expendable income that will want to live here, want to support the arts and agriculture and being able to live in a fairly rural, easy to get around community, but still have the amenities of good restaurants and theater and festivals and Amazon will deliver anything you need to your door <laughs> yeah. the next day. <laughs> That's true. Already, you know, the ease of living here, as opposed to living in in Washington, D.C., which oh, I yeah. live right on Capitol Hill, it is so easy. And now, Amazon. I mean, it's transformed right. everything. Right. Yeah. You
0: know,
1: what
2: you does... don't have to go 60 miles away to do shopping.
0: Right. it's how you I was going to say, um, my time's limited here. Um, I have not been in Gettysburg long. But through the conversations that we've had, I'm talking to two Gettysburg experts, essentially. Wow. Uh, two people that know a lot about it, and that's been what we've been talking about. And from what you guys have said, and what I think the future will be like, because obviously this is my podcast, I think about the year 2100 a lot. And um, maybe I'm biased because I've met you today, um, but I see small towns like gettysburg as the future of of america essentially because the more and more that um, work becomes easier to do from home work becomes more automized uh robots big data um, simulations ai stuff like that it's gonna be less and less jobs more free time I'm under the impression that by the year 2080, 2060, in between there, we will have had a universal living wage. I think that's going to happen because if no one can get a job and we're still following the monetary system, the universal living wage is going to be something that has to happen. And uh, a small and admittedly like it, it's 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 a great looking town. Like this is a place where you walk around and you're smiling because it's so nice. Like mm. <laughs> like I lived in uh, London briefly, and London to me as a city was one of those walk around and smile oh, kind of places. City in the world uh, you know, English speaking city. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's one of those places where you walk around and smile. So places like Gettysburg and like Salem, Massachusetts, and little places that are have that nice hometown feel have a seemingly progressive um mentality which it seems like it does here and i believe that over time that the war monuments and stuff like that will attract more and more i could see (laughs) i it would be i think that the population of gettysburg will have to at least double just because of the population rise in the amount of humans on earth I think that will be something that has to happen. And maybe it won't be directly in Gettysburg because of the ordinances about building, be, no. but it would be on the outside along, oh, along, along Baltimore Pike and stuff like that. It is. You'll see condos pop up there and stuff like that. It is, but, yeah. But um, that's for the future what I think. Um, There's a fellow developing a
3: 250-home retirement community right outside of Gettysburg, starting at $250,000. Starting at two hundred fifty thousand, I didn't make that
0: in my career near. <laughs> in the army. Twenty-two years, I didn't make two hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> no, I, it's the things that people will pay for. Yeah. But um, what are your hopes for the year two thousand one hundred? What do you hope that the world looks like? And um, if you could say anything to the people of two thousand one hundred, what would it be?
3: I sound like Miss America. Peace for the world. <laughs> uh but i would i would certainly hope that we learn first of all to take responsibility for our actions i see less and less of that in our society today i mean people like the famous nfl controversy no one no one denies i don't deny their right to protest police brutality but is it responsible to do it in the format that they're doing it nobody thinks about the flag it is one of the few remaining symbols of our national unity. Whenever a catastrophe occurs or a flood, an earthquake, or the first thing that goes on the ground is a flag. 9-11, a flag went on the ground. And it's a symbol of our national unity. And for these guys in the NFL, it is their right. I'm not arguing with that. But is it their responsibility to do that? If they want to protest, police protest. There are plenty of other places. Any, any other ways to do it? And I see that as a spectrum across the country, that we, we it's my right to say this, my right to do this, my right to act this way, but is it a responsible thing to do? And I see that falling away. I would like to see that, you know, somebody stand up and say, you know, let, let's think about what we're doing. Let's see if it is responsible for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And other than that, uh, more and more acceptance of one another's individuals. Uh, you know, you and I may, I'm sure we probably have different political but I accept what you have to say I don't mm-hmm. necessarily agree with it I probably would not agree with it But I'm not going to stand up and call you a Nazi Or a yeah. fascist yeah. Or a, you know, a racist Well you got to
0: think about the differences between me and you Like the, the things that we have in common Are that we're in this room right now We're both white people mm-hmm. and We're both men mm-hmm. But aside from that who knows and even what you just said about um like the protests and stuff i have a, a slightly differing opinion but you were an ex military yeah. of course oh. you are going that's going to ruffle absolutely. your feathers absolutely but it it's a different side of the coin like you know how you said me and you have that different perspective from them it's someone who grew up in in a hard neighborhood to where police used to harass them and then they finally get on this stage where they can say something and it's the only time people are watching them because no one cares what they say in their press conference sure and even that gets twisted so i understand what you're saying too because i i I do 100 percent understand i have a friend that is he's a vet a recent vet Mm -hmm. iraq Mm -hmm. um and me and him talked about it and he really explained to me his point of view i don't think there is a right or wrong in this instance i think it's differing views But we live, you know, I live in the
3: military. The military is absolutely necessary. God have rules and regulations. Oh, I agree. And the same is true of society. But I just see people throwing them away saying, well, we don't like it, so we're not going to observe it.
0: Well, that's a part of communication and how communication has gotten so fast. Because not only has communication gotten faster, it's gotten less useful and it's gotten more aggressive. So now, like you said, everyone who doesn't agree with you is Nazi or fascist. Everyone, if you think this thing about kneeling, if you think because it's such a tiny instance even if you think about it if you think about the couple minutes the minute or so that those guys are kneeling it has now become this huge thing that hangs over conversations in bars and oh. when you're watching the games everyone looks around yeah. and you can see the guy cursing and screaming over there and you can yeah. see the guy clapping and yeah. the difference yeah. is they're yeah. they're both in the same place to watch yeah. the same exactly. thing yeah. and and we let we let stuff like that because i'll say this about donald trump and it's the only thing i'll say about him today is that something he's really good at and i'm 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 not a supporter and i'll say that um something he's really good at and it's something he does consistently is he uses symbols he uses symbols to get to other people so the kneeling thing perfect Great symbol. People will care. Everyone will argue. It's divisive. It's an issue that everyone will have a different opinion on, and no one will ever agree on. Mm-hmm. Kind of like he he keeps up and talking about coal because it's something that no one knows about. Like the people that care about coal are so happy, yeah. and then there's the other ninety nine percent of America who's going, "Why does he keep talking about coal? We thought coal was like." And, and it's it's just a confusion, and the constantly bringing up new topics that just keeps everyone on edge mm-hmm. to the point where they can just keep marching, while everyone's just trying to scramble behind him. We could go for another hour on this. But, <laughs> to but how about you for the year
2: two 2000- thousand of President Trump is that his profession is a builder, and all he does is tear things down. <laughs> That's my say about that. That's fair. Uh, and, about,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and about the future, I say, the artists shall lead the way
0: hmm. All right.
2: to yeah. peace, joy, love, live and let live. Yeah. Peace, joy, love, live and let live. Yeah. Peace, joy, love, live and let live.
1: <laughs> it's the groovy punch, sipping, stereo whipping, louder, sweat dripping, like collard greens and chitlins. It's Topaz Jones. hey, hey. Yeah. I try to keep composure, but it's that I just wanna touch Aware that this episode has ran long, I will refrain from rambling on too long. It was a pleasure and a privilege to spend time with Mayor Streeter and Jeffrey Gable. It was amazing to tour the town of Gettysburg and hear different perspectives. My thoughts on the future of Gettysburg is that it will be a place cemented in history by a war that changed the path of the world, and it will upgrade with technology and thrive more consistently than places like my hometown, which is essentially all fast food chains, schools, and parks no one goes to. Special thanks to Mayor Streeter, Jeffrey Gable, Jimmy, Waffles, and Cynthia. Music by Jid, the bass god Lil B, Topaz Jones, Anderson Pack, Frank Ocean, and ASAP Rocky. Special thanks to the city of Gettysburg, the town of Gettysburg, and PBS. Happy 2100. For today, bitch Fuck about my way, bitch I'm losing all my aces I'm running out of patience Got some pretty faces Knowing what my name is Up in high places I got some new neighbors They don't really say shit But when they see the spaceship They just think I rap But some form of entertainment But they don't know I'm black Young, gifted, and amazing You know I had to close my eyes My eyes I gotta find peace of mind. I gotta find peace of mind. I love these lights. Flickin' ash, point a hat, on point of glass, pourin' foam, this spike got eggshells in my omelet. My in loves they yellow like the yolk is brownin'. i brain on drugs, I still ain't got no peace of mind. Fuck. <music> Woof woof, dogs in a place loose tooth, lost in a freight roof, lost on a wraith roof, lost on a way freeway, no rose, brute force, brew champagne, tell the front desk cut new keys, reserved in a mercy for two years, and two sweets, took out the bell like it's fuck sleep, I make a bitch like it's hot hands. Fired the label like fuck brands. Comfortable low nigga fuck Zans Comfortable slow who the fuck ran. Nothing is sweet, nothing in tank sweet. It's just a tank P. Salt on a slug, salt oh. on slug, tea, oh. Chewing on nothing. You're tweaking or something. You're reaching for something. You're speaking, speak up and you're thinking. You're overthinking. Or oh. blinking a pre coming. I could turn oh. every knowing into someone. I got a fine piece
3: of mind. mind. Uh. 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 I got a fine piece of mind.